Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Aplastic Anemia and MDS International Foundation podcast series. We're coming to you today thanks to generous support from individual donors and our corporate partners, including Celgene. My name is Tricia, and I'd like to introduce everyone today. First, Robert Burleson, our communications manager. Hello. And who he will be interviewing, Bunny and Joe Williams, who are chatting with us by telephone today. Hello. Hello there. Welcome, everyone. So glad you're here. I'm going to turn it over to Bob. Thank you, Tricia. Uh, I'd like to start just by asking you both, or asking you, Bunny, as the patient. You were diagnosed quite a while ago. Can you, what year was it? Well, the real diagnosis was in 2004. You were diagnosed in 2004 with PNH, a very rare condition that, you know, around 450 uh, diagnoses per year. PNH, of course, is where your red blood cells break apart. The scientific term is hemolysis, but the plain language way of saying it is your red blood cells burst. But yes, go, go, right. going back before that, can you tell us just a little bit about your life before your diagnosis uh, or before you sensed anything was wrong, just what you were doing then? Well, my husband and I love to travel. Uh, we sang in the church choir uh, quite often for a number of years. And uh, we also love to do things, a lot of things together. We will go to the... Uh, basketball games here in New Mexico. The university has a good basketball team. And uh, we just love to do things with people and be around other people and have all kinds of parties and good things happen. Well, it sounds like a fine uh, life together and social life, but tell us now about what you first, first noticed as a change in how you felt. Well, I, I began to feel, I had a lot of blood, uh, urine, and uh, I began to feel a lot of cramping in my uh, stomach area. Uh, I had trouble swallowing, like I had a piece of bread or something caught in my throat. Uh, I had, uh, I was uh, very tired, very fatigued. And I also uh, had a 95% chance of blood clots. Okay. And so really everything was, I was on the sofa most of the time. Yeah, you mentioned in your story about that. Um, now, this might not even be a fair question, but of the things you've mentioned, what do you think, and there was a number of uh, things happening prior to your diagnosis, but what was the most, the one that was most difficult to deal with? I think the uh, feeling that I was going to have, possibly have blood clots, and uh, I didn't particularly want that to happen, um, but just not being able to do anything again, just so, have to have help in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband was doing everything, washing, uh, cleaning, everything, cooking, and I couldn't do anything at all. Yeah, you mentioned that it was just to get off the couch. Um we have one other question. Uh, what kind of, when you first went to see about this and what might be happening with you, what doctors did you start with or, and specialists were you referred on to? Well, 
first of all, uh, I was going to have a physical done, so I went to my primary care, and he, uh, in a blood test that I've had, he said I, he looked like, it looked like I had very low white count and a very low red count. We were ready to go on a trip, and he said, if you feel okay, go ahead on the trip, but when you get back, you go see a hematologist and let uh, that person check you out and see what they feel like is wrong and what was causing that. And so that's what I did. Uh, I went to a hematologist here at Albuquerque uh, and uh, found out that there was something definitely wrong. So I carried on with her then after that. Okay, thank you. Um, I'd like to toggle back, if we can, during this um, ordeal that you went through needing help. uh, I'd like to ask Joe, actually. Um, You fell into the role of a caregiver um, quite well. Um, How did that affect you, and what did you have to do, and how did this affect you as all this was happening? Well, you know, it depends on the individual that is the patient. And uh, my wife and I, at that point, had been married quite a few years, and uh, she was a really good patient, but yeah, it uh, it affected me from the standpoint that uh, I was doing stuff that I wasn't familiar with. I wasn't familiar with dusting in the house, housework, uh, nor was I familiar with cooking. Uh, but I can tell you right now that uh, in, in talking to other caregivers, I felt like I had been blessed with a patient who was very understanding of me and not demanding at any time. So my my feeling was that uh, there were other people who were caregivers that were suffering quite a bit from this, and I, I didn't have to suffer like they did. Thank you. Thanks uh, for your reply. Now could we go back to um, to the medical side of it? Uh, when you went to the hematologist, oncologist, they knew there was a problem. And then, can you just describe the steps from there to actually having a diagnosis of PNH? Uh, yes. Uh, I think probably the first thing was a, a UTI they thought I had. So I was given um, some medicine for the UTI, and that didn't work because the the bleeding didn't stop, mm-hmm. and I'll call it that. It's a hemolysis didn't stop. Correct. Um, the uh, the next thing they did was uh, think it was myelodysplasia, which it was not that either. And uh, then it was diagnosed as hemolytic anemia, and part of it is that uh, in my PNH. And um, the hematologist was giving me a lot of prednisone and... Uh, Every time I would go anything below 20 milligrams, I had to get a higher one again the next time. So uh, it was uh, a lot of guesswork on their part until to, and, until in uh, 2000, uh, and again in February and in March of 2000, I had a bad, really bad hemolyzing episode, and the doctor sent me directly to the hospital from her office. And uh, she wasn't on call, so another doctor who was in her office 
noticed my heavy and all, hemolyzing, and he increased the prednisone to 60 milligrams. But before he dismissed me, he ordered a P&H panel done. Well, I didn't know anything about what that was. And so uh, in February of 2004, I had an appointment with my regular hematologist, and she told me that there had been an article in the New England Journal of Medicine, and she had a copy for me. And that was the first time I knew that I had P&H. So it was four years later. So it really took that long with a number of best guesses. Wow. I had no idea it would take four years to get a diagnosis. There were a lot of doctors that didn't even know what PNH was. I know I have a friend who is a doctor, and uh, uh, we told him what it was. So he was so glad that he was informed about it. And a lot of the nurses that uh, gave me my infusion did not know anything about PNH. They knew about the aplastic anemia and some of the other things, but not the PNH. So it was all new (laughs) to everybody. (laughs) Well, I guess that's that's not surprising if there's fewer than 500 cases diagnosed in the United States every year. I guess Mm -hmm. some doctors never even see a case of PNH. Bunny, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just just have a question. Um, How did you... How did you cope through these four years of them just giving you different treatments and just trial and error? How did you How did you make it through that? Well, I just had to go. I had to go with what they told me to do, and uh, I was I was uncomfortable. I had a lot of episodes. They would come and go, and uh, of course, the first word it is uh, the the P word in the PNH is uh, paroxysmal, and that means sporadic. And so these, this would happen sporadically. I might go a week. I might go two or three days. I don't know before I would get another episode. And it was always worse in the morning when I first got up. Uh, and so after a while, then I just would get these shots or these uh, this medication that they gave me, and it got me through that all for four years. It was a long time, it seemed like. And then you got on a standard treatment, and that worked well. Yes, oh yes, very well. Everything reversed, everything completely reversed. I have no more uh, hemolysizing at all. Uh, I have no more trouble swallowing unless I take too big a bite or something. (laughs) Okay. Uh (laughs) And uh, I have a a 95% chance of being fine, maybe only a 5% chance, which a lot of people have, of having blood clots. Uh, the pain is gone from uh, the, the middle area, and I'm just—I uh, wouldn't even know I had it at all. So Except I am a little bit tired sometimes. Would you say, since this treatment began, this worked so well? Uh, has your life's routine changed, or is it kind of back to before uh, anything happened? Well, it is, of course. Uh, Maturity counts a little bit there, <laughs> uh, but it's uh, it's back. We have gone to basketball games again. Uh, we don't sing in the choir anymore. I think we're just a little bit uh, mature for that. But uh, we also um, uh, still have friends in. We go places. We still exercise. We've been exercising for the last uh, almost twelve years, and. Uh, we just enjoy it very much being with people. It's it's really almost back to normal again, I would say. 
Okay, thank you. Uh, going back to before things weren't quite so good, did you mm-hmm. draw on any support? Of course, you have Joe there with you, but were there any other parts of a support system that you had to help you through a, a difficult time? Yes. Uh, the AMDSIF organization, we had attended many, many of their meetings. Uh, uh, they love to have these meetings at different places, and we're hoping that sometime they'll have one in Albuquerque, and uh, that people from uh, other cities will come in here and uh, let people from Albuquerque know that this is a possibility. I go to a, a, a hospital. It's really just a kind of a secondary hospital for the main hospital, and uh, I am the only person there as far as I know, unless there is one other person I'm not sure about that gets these, uh, this treatment that I have now. So uh, it's really it's very rare. It really is. And it occurs Bob, to me... I, go ahead, Joe. I'm sorry. If I might interject. Please. Um, it, it, it touches a little bit with what Bunny had said, because I attended the AAMDSIF uh, conferences as well, and one of the things there was that there was a presentation for caregivers, uh, a separate meeting that the caregivers could go, but then they could also uh, go to the, the meetings with the uh, patients of PNH or maybe with MDS or uh, aplastic anemia. Uh, but I would say that for someone just uh, being diagnosed newly with PNH, that finding a doctor, a good doctor, is one thing, but then you can learn so much from other patients and from the presentations that are made at these conferences by uh, doctors uh, of, of quite a, quite esteem. So I just wanted to interject that part. Well, thank you. It did occur to me that as rare as PNH is, uh, you might not even meet another PNH patient face to face until you went to a meeting like this. Absolutely. That's correct. Did you find you were able to share some information or compare notes? Uh, I mean, just to a point, but is did were you oh, able yes. to do that? Absolutely. And that's where I learned that I had really uh, latched on to a patient that was so easy to take care of, whereas uh, other people were talking about they had to give up uh, going to certain meetings uh, at church, maybe, or or something, and and they were just driven to. Some of them said they were driven to uh, uh, looking for some, maybe some uh, psychiatric attention. And I thought, man, that's not for me. But at least I was able to find out and and be in a in a session with these people, uh, and I was able to share my viewpoint so that maybe they could learn something from my experience in taking care of Bunny. Thank you. Um, I guess there were not any local or online support groups being as rare as this is. So at these in-person meetings is where you really found the information and support you were looking for, apart from what you got from your your doctor and your treatment team. Yes, that's right. Yes. Now, I'd like to ask you, uh, if you could give... One piece of advice to someone who's newly diagnosed, going through what you went through back in the early part of this uh, decade or 
a century, actually, um, when it began for you and you're looking for answers, wanting to get information and really quite concerned, someone who's where you were then, what would, what would your uh, best advice be? Well, I think probably, first of all, after he's the doctor, uh, would be to uh, find other people, if you could, uh, that had been at some of those meetings uh, and uh, talk with them. Uh, it's a good idea to have something like you all have uh, that gives out somebody's name. I did this for quite a while and still do some, uh, and let them talk to us. We, we don't tell them uh, what to do. We just tell them what happened to us and how something happened, that the things that happened uh, were helped to be not cured, but helped uh, to help us feel better. And uh, then that's up to them, of course, what they do. There's some people that don't want to do it, and there's some people that have been undecided. Uh, I think that, that the best thing to do is to find uh, a hematologist that is good, that knows about it, and uh, someone that they could talk with that has had it uh, a, a while. And did, that's what I, I like to do that. I like to talk with people about it. Did you maintain any relationships with people you met, or even if it's just occasional touching base with anyone you met at those conferences? Oh, my, yes. Uh, uh, this last year, one of the uh, mothers of one, a young man who had it uh, was here with her, with her daughter, and uh, the daughter had a meeting here, and uh, we were we got to see her. We hadn't seen her since one of the meetings, and we just picked up right from where we left off. Uh, she was here, and then uh, I've had people, a lot of people call, as I said, people living here. I haven't talked, uh, seen too many of them, but I've talked with them a lot on the phone. And uh, uh, it's really nice to be able to talk to someone who has the same circumstances that I do. Yes, to be able to compare notes and uh, just yes. uh, help each other along and uh, follow right. one's progress. Um, well, well, those are the questions I had. Over to you, Tricia. Let me let me ask one more question. Okay, so hey. you have resumed pretty much your normal life since you found the treatment that worked for you. That's right. Yeah, you've told told patients to find um, a, a hematologist that can help them. And to find mm-hmm. peer support, maybe maybe Joe would like to offer his his part of what he thinks he would give advice to other caregivers if they find themselves in a similar situation. Learn as much as you can about the disease, PNH, and then uh, I'll have to say that you need to be really really supportive of the patient, and then. Uh, when they have an infusion or any kind of a treatment or they go to the doctor's office for just a regular visit or whatever, go with them and learn as much from the doctor and from the treatment and everything. Learn as much as you possibly can. But it's important that you not just be a caregiver at home or something. Whenever you, whenever they have a treatment, go with them. My wife, Bunny, Today, we'll be having her 293rd infusion, and I have been to every single one with one exception, and that was because I would happen to be in the hospital at the time, 
and couldn't go. But in all those years, uh, I have been with her to support her, and I'm telling other caregivers, you need to do that. They need your support and your positive attitude. Well, that's a remarkable record there. Um, I And so you're indicating that caregiving is not simply just within the home. It extends to all other places and scenarios involved. Absolutely. That's correct, Bob. So do either of you have any final words of wisdom you would like to share with patients that have been uh, newly diagnosed or find themselves newly in caregiver position other than, I think, Joe, you you did a lot with what you just said, but Covers is it. there any other little bit of advice you'd, you'd like to share? Well, I'll tell you, it's a learning process uh, for all of us. And uh, once Bunny had been diagnosed as a PNH patient, uh, our daughter, who uh, is uh, quite good on the computer, uh, immediately told us to get onto the computer and look up pnh.org. Well, we did this not knowing anything about the disease. And over the years, now that this has been back in 2004, back in 2004, and things have changed over those years. And uh, we got on and found out it said, you know, for a patient that newly or has been diagnosed, we'll say, for 10 years, that quite a few of them would pass away. That things have changed drastically, but we didn't realize that there are varying degrees of severity with this disease as with any disease. And so, uh, fortunately, Bunny's case was not as severe as uh, many others who were suffering from PNH. Yes, we have we have just as long a life as anybody else would have. You betcha. Now. So that made us feel a lot better after we found that out. <laughs> Congratulations! Absolutely, we're so pleased to hear this. Have this detailed account of uh, your story <laughs> and your life with PNH and everything that's happened since yes. that since it started. So thank you so much, Bunny and Joe. I know that fellow patients and caregivers have learned from you today. Thanks also to Robert Burleson for conducting the interview. Thank you as well, everyone who's listening. Please don't forget the support services that AAMDSIF offers. Use our helpline at 800-747-2820, option 2, to get connected to our peer support network, community support groups, and online communities. You can find us right here. Next time, where we'll be, coming, be covering both general and highly specialized topics, all to assist patients and families in coping with bone marrow failure disease. See you next time. So long.